Thank you for listening to the Maranatha Free Lutheran Church Sermon Archive. It's our hope that this message would encourage you in your faith and would help you to get to know God's love, grace, and mercy in a personal way. If you have any questions on the sermon or would like to know more about Maranatha, please visit us on the web at maranathafreelutheran.com or call our church office at 218-498-2808. Thank you, and may God bless. Thanks, uh, Riley, for being willing to share today, and uh, I'm glad that uh, you went to the fly convention. Um, beforehand, uh, she was hesitating to go because she's uh, very involved in the county fair and having her uh, critter in that, and uh, she was worried that I wouldn't be ready, and I, I, being a farm boy, said I could take care of that. Well, they kind of razzed me and said they were going to hold me to that, but they didn't. Uh, so I'm glad to hear that uh, it, it's still... Uh, Turned out all right for that as well, and, and uh, just, yeah, good to hear what God has spoken to the hearts of our, of our youth as they were there. Uh, this summer, uh, several of my messages have been focusing on some things uh, related to corporate worship. And uh, one communion Sunday, for instance, I preached on Lord's Supper essentials. Another Sunday, I asked the question, why do we sing in church? Uh, and the last message was entitled uh, God's Temple Expansion Project, and we focused in on um, how we, the gathered people of God, are individually and corporately God's dwelling place here on earth. And then for the last couple Sundays here, you might have noticed things have been a bit different from a normal service, as, as uh, those youth shared from the fly convention, uh, things that God had put on their hearts. And, and today we're kind of more back to normal, you might say. So what is normal? And why do we normally do the things that we do in our normal service? Well, I've been reading and thinking a lot about that in the past weeks, and, and you see part of the pattern that we follow in our order of service is, is to teach people how to have a personal relationship with the Lord. Eugene Peterson says that the, the primary task of the pastor is to teach people to pray, and when someone would ask him then, well, to, um, if he could help them to learn to pray, he'd answer by saying, well, you know, we have a group that gathers weekly just to do that. Would you like to join it? And uh, they'd inevitably say, well, yeah. And then he'd invite them to the regular Sunday morning worship service. And he'd say that because the order of the service actually teaches us how to pray. Well, you see, in order for us to pray, we need to understand who it is we're talking to and who we are in relationship to him. And if he cares and would listen when we talk to him about things and make requests, and also if he's already said some things that would guide us in what we even request of him. In other words, we need to understand the gospel in order to pray. And so anyway, today I'm going to be looking at Psalm 143 because it includes many elements of the worship service uh, mentioned in there, but, but my sermon outline today is actually following much of the order of a typical worship service here. And I invite you to look with me, though, at, at Psalm 143 as we uh, take a look at God's Word today. And, and please stand in reverence to God's Word. <clears throat> Hear my prayer, Lord. Give ear to my pleas for mercy. In your faithfulness, answer me in your righteousness. Enter not into judgment with your servant, for no one living is righteous before you. For the enemy has pursued my soul. He has crushed my life to the ground. He has made me sit in darkness like those long dead. 
Therefore my spirit faints within me and my heart within me is appalled. I remember the days of old. I, I meditate on all that you have done. I ponder the work of your hands. I stretch out my hands to you. My soul thirsts for you like a parched land. Answer me quickly, O Lord, my spirit fails. Hide not your face from me, lest it be like those who go down to the pit. Let me hear in the morning of your steadfast love, for in you I trust. Make me to know the way I should go, for to you I lift up my soul. Deliver me from my enemies, O Lord. I have fled to you for refuge. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. For your namesake, O Lord, preserve my life. In your righteousness, bring my soul out of trouble. In your steadfast love, you will cut off my enemies and you will destroy all the adversaries of my soul. For I am your servant. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for the Psalms and the heart cry of the psalmist here and in many of the Psalms, Lord. Uh, teach us to pray, even from learning from the psalmist today. And as we consider the order of the services that we gather for each week. Uh, may that also aid us in, in our relationship with you. Uh, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. <clears throat> Matt Merker describes the typical pattern when you go through drive through at, at the uh, fast food restaurant. And, and he says it kind of goes like this. You, you get in line with some cars, and then you wait. And then you advance a bit. Then you get to look at the menu, and then you wait some more, and you advance a little bit more, and then you get to place your order, and then you wait some more, and then you advance, and you get to the window, and you pay, and then you wait some more, and then you receive your food, and then you drive away, and you take out your food, and unwrap it, and eat it. And he says that, suggesting that this commonplace experience of millions of people is a liturgy of sorts. That is, it is a predictable pattern of steps, an everyday sort of ritual that has a beginning and a middle and an end. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul tells the congregation at Corinth, where, where there was a kind of chaos sometimes in their worship services, that all things should be done decently and in order. There, there's value to having order in our gatherings. It helps people to know, for instance, just how far along we are in, in that service. It helps antsy people in the pews to have some idea when it might get done. And even my sermon outlines that I put in the bulletin each week are partly to help people with that. However, there are some other more and more reasons um, for order in our services. Um, many churches these days have simplified their order of service down to you might say a few songs led by a team of musicians at the beginning, songs that have somewhat of a predictable pattern of tone and tempo, which are then followed by the sermon from God's word, and then a closing song as a response to the message. And there are very likely good reasons that they have adopted that pattern as they are seeking to make it reach out to what is more of an unchurched culture. However, there are some time-honored elements of a worship service that have been dropped in the process. Author Brian Chappell, as he surveyed uh, several enduring liturgical forms from church history, summarized his main thoughts with that, uh, that there are seven elements of a service that are common in that order. 
And he suggests that this order also then communicates a gospel outline. And so let's walk through the order of a typical service um, here and, and see how it connects then to an outline of the gospel. And so we, we must start, first of all, then with God. Everything started with him. He has always been there, and there was nothing before him. And we gather here today, and we gather each week because of him. And, and to remind each other, then, of who he is and, and what he's like. And, and so our worship service, then, begins with that, with a recognition of God's character and uh, adoration of him. Typically, we, we read verses from the Bible that, that are called to worship, to worship our awesome God, and we sing hymns or choruses that describe aspects of, of his character. And many of the psalms begin that way or include calls to worship God. Psalm 95 has those words, Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker. Our call to worship today from Psalm 99. The Lord reigns. Let the peoples tremble. He sits enthroned above the cherubim. Let the earth quake. And it went on then to describe God's awesomeness, his holiness, and his justice. <clears throat> Psalm 143 here begins as a prayer to God. And in even those first verses, then he's re we're recognizing God's faithfulness, and also that he's a judge, and also that he is merciful. And so as we're reminded of the character of God, well, that has to lead us then to also humble ourselves in acknowledgement of our character and in a confession of that. And so, for instance, our opening hymn today declared to God, we're singing to him, Holy God, we praise your name. Lord of all, we bow before you, all of, on earth, your scepter claim, all in heaven above adore you. Infinite your vast domain, everlasting is your reign. And then typically, after our opening songs, it's followed by this confession of sin. And our confession of sin today started out then, Almighty God, our maker and redeemer. And so what are we doing? We're recognizing, uh, again, who God is and, and what his character is like. And then that's followed by our recognition of our character. We poor sinners confess to you that we're by nature sinful and unclean. That is that our very nature is sinful and also that we have sinned in our actions, in our thoughts, in our words, in our deeds. And we are then together admitting that, that we are sinners and asking God for mercy. And we're doing so because we know him to be amazingly merciful. Um, because of Jesus' death for us. And that's right there in the, that confession of sin as well. Then it says, therefore we flee for refuge to your infinite mercy. And we ask you for Christ's sake, grant us forgiveness of all of our sins. <clears throat> Mike Cosper wrote a book called Rhythms of Grace, how, how church worship tells a story of the gospel. And, and he, re he, he responds to a perspective that it, it seems common out there, um, a perspective that says, well, we shouldn't include in our service that confession of sin. It's so negative. And maybe even judgmental. It might push visitors away by asking them to say that. And he responds by saying this. I disagree. I actually have come to believe that confession of sin is one of the most hospitable things we can do for both insiders or Christians and for outsiders or non-Christians. Most people are all too well aware of their sin and their shortcomings, and are busily spinning their wheels in attempts to surmount them, end quote. 
Cosper's perspective is that coming to church gatherings where happy people sing happy songs about how their lives are all put together makes visitors not want to come back because they know their own lives don't feel all put together. And they maybe even see hypocrisy in those that claim they've somehow arrived at that. Confessing our sins together then puts us all on the same level in need of God's mercy and his grace. Here in the first couple of verses of Psalm 143, we, we recognize that God is faithful, but also that he's a judge of humanity, and, and also that he's hopefully merc- merciful. That's what we hear from the psalmist. Hear my prayer, O Lord, give ear to my pleas for mercy. In your faithfulness answer me, in your righteousness. Enter not into judgment with your servant, for no one living is righteous before you. Those words are a recognition that all of us are sinners, which is why it's appropriate that we would all then confess that when we come together. In our service, a confession of sin is followed by an affirmation of grace in Christ. Or at least there, we see even that, a, a hint of that in, in this psalm, um, in verse 2, as the psalmist reasons with God to not enter in judgment with him. Uh, it's based on that no one is perfectly righteous and, and that God is merciful. In a typical service here, Pastor Ryan or I, as we lead, um, after the congregation has confessed our sin together, um, the pastor then leads in a pastoral prayer. And, and it starts out with, with a prayer of thanks for God's mercy and forgiveness that, that we know because of Jesus Christ's death on the cross for us. And, and we might, for instance, at that point, quote scripture that tells us that. For instance, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he, Jesus, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And that affirmation of grace in Christ is often followed then by some prayers of, of thanks for that forgiveness. And also thanks for God's work in other ways in our lives, which Cosper calls uh, expression of devotion and, and thanksgiving. If you look at verse 5 here in this psalm, the psalmist looks back on, on what God has done for him and he says, I remember the days of old. I meditate on all that you have done. I ponder the work of your hands. And and as I thought about this, it it seems to me perhaps both in our worship services and in our individual lives, maybe we tend to not do this enough. We, We get so caught up in our current concerns and things that seem pressing in our lives as we look ahead that we neglect to look back and to see God's provision in the past and to thank him for that. And if we stop and do that, it might help us to trust him more with our present and future situations as well. The next thing I see in the prayer of the psalmist here in Psalm 143, uh, there's a desire for aid in living for God. And and Cosper talks about petition and intercession. And here, as you look at verses 6 to 9, the psalmist kind of lets loose in in expressing his feelings of, of emptiness and helplessness. And his desperate need for for God to intervene in his present situation. He says, I stretch out my hands to you. My soul thirsts for you like a parched land. Answer me quickly, O Lord, my spirit fails. Hide not your face from me, lest I be like those that go down to the pit. Let me hear in the morning of your steadfast love, for in you I trust. Make me know the way I should go, for you I lift up my soul. Deliver me from my enemies, O Lord. I have fled to you for refuge. Have we not all had times of feeling emptiness and helplessness? 
I like how Ole Halsby describes prayer. He, he says prayer is helplessness. It's really just telling God in which ways I am helpless today. Aren't you glad that the Psalms are full of prayers such as these verses? They, they encourage us to be willing to just pour out our hearts to God in the midst of our trials. And come to him with all of our anxieties and know that he cares and will answer. Well, along with us together, each confessing our sinfulness and our helplessness, there's a place also in prayer for confessing then together the results of the fall of mankind into sin and how that's impacted the world around us. This is sometimes what's known as prayers of lament. So lament is prayer, or I should say lament in prayer then is, is crying out to God in grief, whether that be regarding something in our personal life or in the world around us. Because we live in a fallen world, we may at times just cry out to God as we see the results of mankind's fall into sin and express to God then our concern about the results of the fall on, on us and on the world around us. I think of an example of that. It might go something like this. Lord, as we look at the mess our nation is in, many of our government leaders are corrupt and so deceived, thinking they're enlightened with their woke agenda, which in most cases completely ignores your existence, God. Oh God, wake them up. Open their eyes to their spiritual blindness. Save us. Turn our nation around. Revive us before our nation collapses in ruin. That'd be a prayer of lament. Also, as we think of the part of prayer that prayer has in our worship services, uh, you, might, you might have wondered at times, well, why do we have that long segment in the service where the pastor leads in prayer for all kinds of people and situations and ministries, especially when sometimes you don't even have any idea who he's talking about? Well, it's an opportunity for us to join our hearts together in interceding. That is, in going to God in prayer on behalf of others. And this is something God's word encourages us to do, even though we don't fully understand what happens as a result of our prayer, to pray and intercede for others, to make requests to God on their behalf. Well, following that pastoral-led prayer of intercession in our typical worship services, we have readings from Scripture in the Old and New Testament, followed by that joint confession of what we believe, followed by a receiving an offering, and, and then a hymn of preparation before the sermon. And all of those also have a biblical basis as well. I'm, and I'm just limiting my outline today, though, to uh, those seven elements that Brian Chappelle mentioned that, that I also find here in this text in Psalm 143. And so we go on to also this sin. Number six, acquiring knowledge for pleasing God or, or receiving instruction from God's word. The psalmist prays in verse nine, make me to know the way I should go. To you I lift up my soul. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. And he is saying to God, I'm listening, teach me. When the pastor gets into the pulpit to preach the sermon and he reads the text, then we pause and we pray. And we are asking the Spirit of God to speak to our hearts through it. And then we are quiet and we listen. And we trust that what follows isn't just words of mankind being stated, but it is a declaration of God's word to us. Martin Luther said, the preaching and teaching of God's word is the greatest and noblest part of any service. Matt Merker states, 
the, the sermon is not a dry, merely intellectual event. It, it is a crucial means that the Holy Spirit uses to minister grace to the gathered congregation. He feeds, forms, and fills us as we feast on Christ and his word. <clears throat> what follows the sermon? What wraps up the service? There is a focus of us going from here, living unto God, and knowing his blessing. We, we have often a, a charge. Um, take this away as your take, take home, and then also a benediction. You notice in verses 11 and 12 here, the psalmist says, For the sake of your name, revive me. He's recognizing there that I, I live for you, Lord, and, and I am your servant. As we close our service today in a bit here, um, the song's at the end of the service. What's our focus? Well, the, the hymn will be, Redeemed How I Love to Proclaim It. What are we saying? As we think about what we've experienced and we know the forgiveness and redemption that is there in, in Christ, we, we want to proclaim that to the world that needs to know it. And, and, that, and then a song reminding us of that simple gospel message at the end, for God so loved the world. We also close our service with a benediction. And, and in a couple of weeks, I, I'm going to focus a message just on that benediction we often use here that comes from the book of Numbers. Because you see, it's much more than just, uh, you all come back next week. So in conclusion, I want to just ask this here. Think about our order of service. That general order of service is intentional. With hopes that it is clear for anyone who comes in the door here on any given Sunday. I invite you to just glance at your outline even as I walk through these things again. We hope it's clear for anyone who comes. First of all, that there is an all-powerful creator God who is holy and perfect and to whom we someday will give an account for our lives. And then that we have sinned against him and we deserve his judgment and we need to humble ourselves and admit that. But then that there is good news. And that is that God has provided a way for each of us that we can be forgiven of our sin and that we can come to know a restored relationship with, with our creator God through his son Jesus Christ and his substitutionary death on the cross. And then as a result, that we seek to live our lives in thankfulness to God for that and recognizing his daily provision in our lives. And then through prayer, we seek his help as we deal with the many challenges and trials of life. And then we take time to listen to his written word declared to us that we might live our lives according to his will. And then we leave this place each week seeking to serve him knowing that, and also knowing his hand of blessing as he goes with us in our daily lives. So why this general order of service? <clears throat> Cosper says, this pattern is intended to help us to carry those habits with us as we go. The way that we adore and confess and lament together will shape the way we adore and confess and lament in our ordinary lives. And we will be better prepared to face the day when tragedy strikes, better able to extend grace to others in daily life, more able to face our own sinfulness and, and to live in daily repentance in, and faith in Jesus Christ. And so the order of service is a pattern not just for Sunday morning, but for our daily life. I invite you to hang on to that sermon outline if that's helpful. Stick it in your Bible as a tool even in your devotional life, a, a guide in your personal relationship with God. Let's pray. Lord God, I just thank you for your work among us as we gather each week 
Lord, we, we pray that you would have your way in our lives. We pray that anyone who comes in the door here would know who you are, would know that though they are sinners, there is forgiveness of sin and eternal life in Jesus Christ. And they would know that you go with us in the trials of life and that we can come to you with those concerns at any time and you hear our prayer. We pray also, Lord, that, that each of us would know that your word is powerful and it speaks to our hearts about things in our lives and it shapes us as we open ourselves to the Holy Spirit speaking through it. And then, Lord, we pray that as we go our way each, each week, including today, that you would be empowering us to live out our Christian life as we deal with the various challenges we face, each personally, Lord. Uh, may we know your hand in our lives. May we know a personal walk with you. May we live a life of, of prayer and fellowship with you. Uh, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.